This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Boy, we're going to talk about the CERB repayment program. Uh, And this is a word that, Blair, to be honest, we had no idea that this was a (laughs) word (laughs) up until a couple of years ago, right? In the before times, yeah, exactly. (laughs) In the before times, that's right. Pre-pandemic. So... Mm. um, and the story is that people, more and more people are getting uh, notices that they have to repay their CERB payments um, that were, that, that they got during the pandemic when they lost work or lost their jobs. And, uh, and this, and this segment is specifically for folks who have gotten one of those notices that says you have to repay some or all of your CERB benefit. And, uh, Blair, I know that you're finding people that it's a real challenge because people either one, they don't have that money, mm-hmm. uh, or, or they can't afford to do so now. And, uh, I, I love the idea that, you know, you're not alone because we know it's a, it's a huge issue for a enormous number of people throughout this country. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, Blair, what are, why are, why are the, those Canadians being asked to repay, um, the benefits? What, what put them in a situation? They obviously needed the money and got approved for the money originally. And now, uh, the, uh, the program has come back and said, Oh, no, actually we, we need some of this money back. How, yeah, so t- how is that? About- how did that come about? Talk about a stressful situation, right? You know, you're you're sitting there, you might have other challenges, and then suddenly get a letter from the government, your hands probably shake as you open the envelope anyway, and they're saying, hey, this money that we gave you during one of the toughest times any of us have ever been through, yeah, we want all that back. And, and you know, in, in some cases, um, you know, maybe they're going to add interest and penalties in the future. Not yet, but your, your mind goes there. So what is the CERB thing that we're talking about? Well, the CERB was a government measure. It was aimed at providing financial support for Canadian workers who are impacted by the COVID COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, hard to believe we're going back a number of years now, but the basic uh, of the of the taxable emergency benefit were that eligible people could receive $2,000 for every four-week period. And as the pandemic went on, the assistance options changed and people could be eligible for recovery benefits. There was a Canada recovery benefit. There was others through EI. But whether it was multiple payments or maybe some mistakes in applications, there are a few reasons why people are being expected to or might have already been called on to repay their CERB benefits. And it could be that you applied for CERB and it was later determined that you weren't eligible. So in some cases, the rules weren't as clear uh, at the moment as, as they are now. Uh, for some people, they didn't meet the $5,000 income eligibility requirement. And there was a big controversy about self-employed people, whether this was gross or net. And some people just made assumptions and unfortunately you were found to not be eligible. Uh, Maybe you earned more income than you anticipated when you received CERB. So you resumed your employment earlier. Maybe you received some retroactive pay from your employer. And then in some cases, people actually received double payments. They applied through both EI and Service Canada for the same eligibility period. At that point, there was no tying together of the databases. So if you tried to claim under both, you probably got approved under both. 
Um, so it can feel pretty overwhelming that, hey, this money that you received so, so many years ago that they're asking for it back now, because if we think about the substance of the money, well, CERB was intended to give you a short-term replacement of income to cover immediate living expenses. So it's not a surprise that just about everybody that we speak to, they spent these funds in the month they were received to just keep things going, to keep the lights on, to keep the groceries purchased. So people don't have this money sitting around. And then we also know that regular costs of living have escalated in the last number of years. You might be already dealing with some other debt. And then to get this notice from a government branch, that can sometimes be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Excellent. And I remember, um, I remember at the time hearing stories of folks that they, yeah, they got the CERB payment, they were getting UI, it, they were making more money with mm -hmm. um, the various uh, assistance programs than they were at the job that they basically walked away from because, you know, they were doing, they, they were being paid more to stay at home than they were to be at work. And, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be a nightmare down the road uh, for a lot of people. And that's, and that's exactly what's happened. That's what's happening now and will continue to happen, I guess, for a while yet. I mean, is, is this an ongoing thing? I mean, here we are 2023. Mm -hmm. It's going to continue, right? They're going to continue to find people and ask for monies back. Oh, exactly. That That's what we're seeing now. And I, I don't expect it's going to stop. I think it's just, you know, the, the tip of the iceberg here. So CRA is is basically the government agency that's now tasked to collect on all of these overpayments, all of these debts, whether it was from CRA or EI. Uh, what CRA has stated is that if you receive benefits that you weren't entitled to, you'll be sent a notice of redetermination. If you can't pay the overpayment debt in full now, CRA will allow you to make payment arrangements to make payments over time until the debt is paid in full and charitably of them for now, but I don't expect this to last forever, is that no interest or penalty will be applied on your COVID-19 benefit overpayment debts. And in some cases of undue hardship, you might be able to postpone paying this debt until your financial situation improves. So it doesn't go away, but CRA might be willing to take a bit of a backseat if you're in a really tough spot. Now, starting in 2022, uh, if you have a balance owing to CRA for you know anything, but especially these emergency benefits, CRA may keep your future your payments, they may seize your tax refunds, they may take your GST credits, all or a portion of them until the debt is repaid. And what's a big impact to some people is if you're receiving EI benefits, um, the CERB will be recovered at 50% of that EI benefit rate. So if you're entitled to roughly 2000 per month, but you owe the government money, well, you're only going to get 1000 per month until that government debt is paid off. So I find that to obviously be, be very striking. Um, of course, if you're able to pay the balance in full, your, your best bet is just to do so. You can connect directly with CRA and make some arrangements. Uh, CRA is encouraging people not to ignore these debts. And we totally agree. Ignoring any unpaid balance, especially when it comes to CRA, is something that you definitely want to avoid because there are some steps that can be taken against you if you don't pay. Yeah. Uh, and if you're already in this situation and you quite frankly don't know what next steps to take, uh, sitting down with somebody from Sands and Associates and getting a clear idea of what you're, what you could take in terms of action or where you are and what, and what kind of support you need in order to sort of weather this is a perfect opportunity. 1-800-661-3030. That's the phone number. And Sands and Associates has offices all over British Columbia. So what actions, you sort of talked about it a little bit already, Blair, what actions can the government take against a person if they don't pay at this point? 
Mm-hmm. Well, the government is the last person that you want to owe money to. We often say this um, on the program here because they've got more tools at their disposal and they can activate those tools quicker than any other creditor. So at present, I'd say they're taking what they call a softer approach to collecting on serve repayments. Um, they're often more forceful on things like income tax or business GST, but I would expect that to change over time as these debts get a little older and CRA gets a little less patient. So what CRA can do um, is they they can take some what we would call extreme actions. So things like a wage garnishment. So what that means is CRA can issue a notice directly to your employer. It's called a a requirement to pay. And it's typically up to 30% of your net pay. It can be on various types of income, not just employment income. And where we often say on this show, you know, if you're going to have your wages seized, you're going to see that coming a mile away because they have to go to court first, serve you with documents. All that's out the window when it's the government. They can just go directly to your employer and issue a wage garnishment to require to pay. Uh, we talked about them seizing your future income tax refunds or benefits. Um, they can also issue a requirement to pay on a bank account. And usually that's for 100% of what's in that bank account. So CRA has more information sources than I could ever imagine. Um, they know how much is in a bank account at any given time. And they can issue uh, a directive that, hey, that money is either frozen or sent directly to CRA if you're delinquent with, the, with them on amounts owing. And then they can also, if you have assets, uh, most typically a house, but could also be a vehicle or some other asset of value, uh, CRA can place a lien on those assets. And if it's a house, you know, that's just like another mortgage. So if you try to go and refinance the mortgage, it's probably the case CRA would have to get paid out at that time. And in extreme cases, CRA could even apply to court uh, and seek an order to have the house sold. Oh, that's that's pretty um, unusual. It's usually the case CRA will just sit there and wait, knowing they've got a charge on the home and they will eventually get paid uh, when the home sells. Uh, Trying to avoid dealing with CRA just by not filing your taxes for year after year is not an advisable strategy. Uh, Usually what CRA will do is they'll eventually just run out of patience and issue what's called an arbitrary assessment. Well, they'll just pick a number out of the sky, you know, maybe based on your banking records or not. And then it's your job to disprove that number. And it's usually a pretty high number. So it's always in your best interest to be proactive, uh, to file your returns with CRA, and also to see a licensed and solved trustee as soon as possible. If you know there's a government balance here that I'm not going to be able to pay off, you want to head off all of these activities before they start. And when you work with a trustee, you can basically put a pause on anything new starting against you on behalf of CRA. Okay. So what kinds of things would would you um, counsel somebody uh, to do and, and action for them to take when it comes to repaying that CERB or, or you're not unable to at this at, at any given point? Well, when you're dealing with government debt, um, the number of people that can actually assist you in restructuring that debt is a very short list. It's essentially one person. It's a licensed insolvency trustee. You know, I, I suppose you could hire a tax lawyer to dispute things if you really had a lot of money and thought it was an error, but that's pretty rare. In general, working with a licensed insolvency trustee is going to be the best ally to help you get back on top of things and to, to put some structure to what you can afford to repay on the debt rather than being at CRA's whims. So a couple options that people have. Have. Um, option one is to file a consumer proposal. What a consumer proposal is, it's a debt relief option that allows you to consolidate all of your debts and make an agreement with your creditors to settle your debts in full by repaying what's affordable to you. After you repay the portion of the debt that they've agreed to, your creditors will consider the unpaid balance legally forgiven. Does this work with CRA? 
Yes, almost every time. I say almost because there's occasionally cases where CRA won't accept a proposal, but in just about every case that we deal with, CRA is open to accepting a proposal. And a proposal is so powerful because it can consolidate virtually all types of debt. So just about everything, including government and non-government debt, and it can reduce it often by up to 50 to even 80% of debt or more. You can only do a consumer proposal by working directly with a licensed insolvency trustee, and it doesn't cost you anything to explore the situation. Uh, even to get a proposal prepared, you don't pay anything. It's only once you've started, you've signed the proposal, you just start making your monthly payments. There's nothing extra above and beyond that you're asked to pay uh, in terms of fees to a trustee. So proposal is a great option. Now, if it's a case that you know you can't even afford to pay a reduced balance back on this debt, maybe the income is so low or the debt is so high that even paying off 20 cents in the dollar just wouldn't be possible. Well, that's when the very private, straightforward remedy uh, of a personal bankruptcy, that can be a good option. When you sit down with the trustee, the trustee will explore all of these options with you, take the time to answer all of your questions in great detail and help you move forward on what you choose to do to restructure the debt and get back in control. And you're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Uh, Sands & Associates has offices all over British Columbia. Their phone number is 1-800-661-3030. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment is all about debt management plans, the pros and the cons to consider. And Blair's going to walk us through comparing the pros and the cons of five different strategies to help you get out of debt. Dealing with debt can feel pretty frustrating. Everyone knows that. But the truth is that debt is often the problem, like many others, that it does have solutions. And so Blair's going to walk us through those common debt solutions available to you and me, as well as some key points highlighting the pros and cons of each. So Blair, how would you categorize the different types of debt management plans available to us out there? Well, I'd say there's three main ways you can try to get out of debt. There's what we'll call the do-it-yourself debt repayment plans, and we'll talk about the options under there. There's informal debt repayment plans, and then there's formal debt management and debt relief solutions. And a lot of people are unsure what to look for, what to consider, or even where to start when they need to think about how they're going to manage their debt. But you're not alone in navigating these situations. Um, everyday licensed insolvency trustees sit down with, with potential clients and they take them through all of the suite of options. We're going to go through five options today in a fair amount of detail that cover really all three of these, these different types of debt relief options. A lot of people have different ways they can try to move forward, but there is often, you know, one solution that really stands out as the best fit for them, and a trustee is going to help you figure that out. Cool. So what's the first one we're going to talk about? Yeah, so let's talk about under the do-it-yourself plan um, is paying off your debt in full. So we never want to discount that because sometimes if someone comes in, uh, the debt is relatively manageable. They've got some money they can do they can use to pay down the debt. What they need is just some informal coaching. So what you'd need is a balanced personal budget, the ability to stick to it, and you might not need any more help than that. Uh, in some cases, you can informally negotiate with your lenders to get reduced interest rates on your accounts. Make sure you understand understand if there's going to be any impact to your credit. But if you're paying all the debt back in full, your creditors agree to give you a slight break on the interest, you know, that might be a 
pretty good option if you're able to do so. The downsides of paying all your debt back in full is, well, you just might not be able to do it. You know, it might be very difficult for you to pay substantially more than your minimum monthly payments. And if you're not doing a whole lot more than your minimum monthly payments, you're going to be in debt for a very long time. You may never see that zero balance on your debts. Um, and then sometimes if you've got a budget that doesn't allow you to make any savings whatsoever, you could be vulnerable if there's any significant external thing that happens, uh, any upset to your budget, it might set you back significantly and take you off of that plan to pay back your debt. So paying off your debt in full, uh, it's one of those do-it-yourself strategies can be good, but also can, can be quite difficult to accomplish. What about those consolidation loans that we hear so much about these days? Yeah, a consolidation loan sounds great. And what a consolidation loan means is that you have one payment, you put all of your debt together. Uh, it's usually at a lower interest rate than you'd be paying on all the individual debts. And you've got some simplicity because you're not juggling multiple debts and payment due dates anymore. Uh, the challenge with consolidation loans is they're often very difficult to qualify for. So a lot of people that come in to see us, they say, well, you weren't my first stop. I went to the bank first and I tried to consolidate. And they said, you know, unless I was willing to pledge an asset, you know, like my car, for example, uh, or maybe some investments, whatever it was, or to get a co-signer, they weren't willing to do anything for me. Uh, and both of those things can be very risky, especially getting a co-signer. That can be just adding a whole other level of emotional response responsibility to a debt that can really reduce your flexibility in the future. So you want to talk in detail with a trustee before you get a consolidation loan if they are requiring you to pledge assets uh, or to get a co-signer. Uh, the other potential challenge with a consolidation loan is you have to repay all your debts in full plus interest and the interest might be lower, but it still might mean your payments, even with the lower interest rate, can be difficult to afford and carrying that debt can still be expensive. Okay. And I just want to throw in an opportunity here, that whole co-signing idea. You are not a fan of that. No. When is it wise? What do we say? Almost never. Uh, the amount of folks I've sat down with that said, you know, I didn't think the co-signer would actually be fully responsible. I'm like, well, yeah, that, that's why the bank wants them to sign. And then I'm trying to help somebody reduce their debt in a consumer proposal, but their mom or dad or brother or sister or spouse would still be responsible to pay the debt, even if we reduce it for the individual. So it just really adds another layer of complexity. It's almost never a good idea. Yeah, thanks for throwing that in. Have you got any other a few tips to of uh, for success that we before we move on to the next category? Yeah, one of the most important things on a consolidation loan is if you do, or if you are able to consolidate your debt, you really have to stop using those other credit cards. So whether you throw them away, put them in the freezer, chop them off, or whatever. But I've seen so many examples where someone comes in, they've got their credit cards. And they've got this consolidation loan that was originally taken out for these credit cards. The cards all went to zero, but then because they didn't adjust their budget, they started to use credit again. And now they've got double the debt problem that they had before. So you have to be disciplined. And it means the consolidation has to be affordable for you. If it's going to ca cause you to rely on credit just to live, well, that's not a good long-term strategy at all. Okay. I want to throw in the phone number for Sands & Associates offices all over British Columbia. It's a 1-800 number, 661-3030. Their website is great, filled with lots of good information for you, sands-trustee.com. And you can also make an appointment at one of the offices through the website as well. So let's talk about that informal debt repayment plan. 
Yeah, there's a couple of different types of informal debt agents that operate, and they're not all created equal. So some come with some significant buyer beware disclaimers. Uh, a couple of the most common informal debt repayment options are to use a credit counseling service. So if you have a small amount of debt, you might be able to simplify your finances with a credit counselor that could potentially consolidate your eligible debts into an informal credit counseling plan, which would require monthly payments of up to five years. What happens when you work with a credit counselor is if creditors agree to be part of the plan, and not all creditors do, for example, government will never be part of this plan, you pay off all of your debt, but certain creditors might agree not to charge you any further interest. Uh, the advantages here is obviously you save on the interest and it's much easier to qualify for a credit counseling plan than to get a consolidation loan and you won't need a cosign or you won't need to pledge assets as security. And then the best credit counselors, again, not all are bad, not all are good. You just have to be careful, but the best ones will provide educational resources and money management workshops as part of the process to try to give you some really good tools to move forward. The downside of using a credit counseling plan is because it's informal, um, creditors can opt in or out of that at any point, and some creditors will decide, well, we just don't work with credit counselors at all, and as I mentioned, government debts will never be included in a credit counseling plan. So an income tax debt, a student loan, a CERB overpayment, that just can't be dealt with at all informally. Uh, you will have to pay some fees, so you're paying back all the debt in full plus some fees on top of it, even if it's a not-for-profit credit counseling society, um, you will still be charged some fees to use their service. And then you need to understand too, there can be some conflicts of interest or conflicts of objectives because most credit counselors, especially not-for-profits, are heavily bank funded and some are even registered as collection agents. So you need to understand the objective of the person who's giving you advice might be to get you to pay back all the debt in full, whereas you might have a better option out there, but they won't tell you about that because a lot of their funding comes from the banks and their mandate is to just get as much of that money back as possible. Uh, one of the more risky informal uh, type of agent is called a debt settlement agent. And the way a debt settlement agent works is they try to negotiate a one-time repayment for just a portion of the debt. So maybe it's, you know, half of the debt outstanding with a lump sum payment six months from now, but it's exceptionally risky to work with a debt settlement agent. Uh, it's really not highly regulated. Oftentimes there are upfront fees and their fees get charged regardless of success or not. And you have to be careful about the advertising. Sometimes things are promised that just aren't delivered. So for the most part, people that try debt settlement, um, they get frozen in the stage of, okay, I'm going to accumulate that lump sum payment. And all the time they're just paying fees and getting harassed by their creditors. So it's a very risky strategy, but it is somebody else that's out there. Do you want to mention the other cautions that you have about credit counseling? Because I think they're important too. Well, you need to understand that because it's an informal type of a remedy, um, anybody can call themselves a credit counselor. So you really want to take a look closely at the agency, how reputable are they, how long have they been around, look at reviews. But also you need to understand even the most reputable and established credit counselors cannot offer you any protection from your creditors and they can't compel your creditors to accept their services or your offer. So this is quite different than working with a trustee. As we've talked in the past, if you do a proposal, we just need a majority of your creditors to agree and everybody else is legally bound by it. On a credit counseling plan, every creditor must agree and they could opt out at any time. There's really no law that protects you when you're dealing informally. 
Okay. Now the next one, the formal debt management uh, plan is the one or the two that only a licensed insolvency trustee in this fine country of ours can facilitate for you. And I think that's really important uh, to make note of. Nobody else can do this work for you. And let's talk about, let's talk about the two, the two uh, plans that we could use. Exactly. So if you're going to use a formal debt, relu- debt resolution option, only an LIT, a licensed insolvency trustee can help you. And an LIT is all that you need. You don't need an agent, an advisor, any middleman, anything like that. An LIT can help you with making a consumer proposal where you consolidate all of your debt, reduce it down to what you can afford, and you don't pay a dollar of additional fees on top of that. So the government sets out a tariff that allows trustees to keep a portion of your monthly payment, essentially it's forcing the creditors to pay the cost of your proposal. So as you go through with an LIT, it's a formal process. It's legally supervised. There is a dispute resolution process and it costs you nothing, at least with Sands and Associates, nothing for a free consultation, nothing to prepare a proposal. Um, And in general, people pay significantly less in a proposal than they would pay under any other debt resolution option. Uh, The downside of doing a consumer proposal is, of course, anytime you don't pay your debt back in full, your credit takes a hit, but it's not exceptionally severe. And most of the times, within a year of you paying off your proposal, that credit rating impact is gone. It never appears there again. It's like it never happened, and you avoided a bankruptcy. Uh, Just in our last few minutes here, or a few seconds here, um, the other formal debt resolution option that a, a trustee can offer is a personal bankruptcy. That's always the last resort if a proposal isn't possible because the debts are too high or the income is too low that even part partial payment doesn't work. A bankruptcy does get you back to owing nobody anything. It gets you back to a fresh start and it releases all the debt stress that you might be feeling and dealing with debt that you just can't pay back. And I want to throw in uh, this point as well, is that you may think personal bankruptcy is the only option that you have. And I know Blair has talked numerous times about the folks are surprised. It's like, oh, no, I could do a consumer proposal, which, again, it's a, it's a different breed altogether than a personal bankruptcy. And uh, it may be the best solution for you. And the only way to find that out is to sit down with a licensed insolvency trustee at Sands and Associates. They have offices all over British Columbia. And this is an opportunity for you to sit down, learn, understand, compare, and choose the best debt option for you. The phone number 1-800-661-3030, their website sands-trustee.com. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment's all about credit cards, using credit cards, the do's and don'ts, and dealing with debt as a result. And, uh, Boy, Blair's often uh, talked about so many good tips for folks using credit cards, best practices for managing your account balances, and where you can safely seek advice and resources if your credit card is becoming a problem. And Blair, I know you've talked about this before, but, but credit cards are a problem for folks, and it seems to be a growing issue. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. We survey our client base every year and without fail, credit cards are the number one type of debt that people identify as this was the real problem, the thing that drove me to getting help. And they're number one with a bullet, so to speak, because it's five times the incidence of the next highest um, type of debt. So credit cards for sure are the number one driver of people having financial difficulties. 
And it's also interesting to note, and, and this sort of flies in the face of what I've always thought, is that not all credit cards are the same. Like doing a little bit of due diligence, a little bit of research, there are differences between the various cards, which in the long run, uh, can save you, can save you money. And so let's talk about that. Uh, the, the tips, tips for somebody who wants to get a new credit card or get a credit card period, what what kinds of things would you get them to think about and look at? Well, I think that the best goal when you're looking at financial products is you really want to aim to be a savvy and well-informed consumer. So you want to do your research, not just, you know, take the first card that you see or the first one that your bank offers to you. You want to take some time to compare, look at what's on offer and find the card that best fits your needs. Um, some key items to check are what are the fees? Are there annual fees, sometimes monthly fees or, or otherwise? Um, are there transaction and ATM fees as well as foreign exchange fees? You sometimes find big differences if you know you're going to be going to the states to do some shopping some cards have very expensive foreign exchange rates um, some actually are very competitive and will give you a much better a better result and that can save you real money every time you shop across the border uh, some cards have rewards and bonuses um, and of course interest rates um, you obviously want to get a card with the most reasonable interest rate possible but also be careful that you're not um, drawn in by what can be just an introductory interest rate and you end up with a card that's actually quite expensive uh, the financial consumer agency of Canada has a great online credit card comparison tool and allows you to compare the features of some of the different cards that are available. You can access that on Canada.ca. Um, a couple of things to consider is even the type of credit card that you get. So there's your typical, what we call an unsecured credit card, which is what most people would, would assume you right away, you get a credit card sent to you and you haven't given any deposit. But there are certain cards where you actually do put a deposit down. Uh, one is a prepaid card. This is sometimes called a reloadable or a pay-as-you-go card. You can often purchase that at standard retail outlets, like a grocery store or a pharmacy. You load the card up with your own money. You spend it until the money runs out. Uh, the upside of this card it's convenient but the downside is there's actually no tie to the individual's credit rating or credit report so using a prepaid card good for convenience but actually does nothing to help you build a, a solid credit history so typically we tend to recommend against prepaid cards because sometimes the fees can be significant and without getting that benefit of building your credit you know you might be able to get better alternatives out there uh, if you are in a situation where you do want to put a card with a deposit, um, a secured credit card is typically a better option. Um, a secured credit card works very similar to a standard credit card, but the difference is you've already put a deposit down with the lender, and usually, but not always, usually your credit limit is a little less than that deposit, so that if you don't pay, um, they can take the deposit and there's no loss to the, the creditor. So typically the best secured credit cards will report monthly to the credit bureaus, they will help you rebuild credit, and the best ones have no annual fees either. So make sure you consider what type of card you need, unsecured, prepaid, or secured, uh, and make sure you're getting as competitive as you can in terms of the attributes, interest rates, fees, um, all of those things. If you want to sit down with somebody and talk more about how to best use a credit card, or if you're in credit card debt and you need some help with that, 1-800-661-3030 is the number for Sands & Associates. Again, offices all over British Columbia uh, where somebody can sit down with you and, and help you figure out your next steps. Blair, are there some best practices for using a credit card? 
Oh, certainly. Um, as we said, you know, credit cards are the most prevalent type of debt that we see. And there's you know, some benefits to using a credit card. It can be very convenient. But a few of the best practices to keep in mind, one simple one is don't use the credit card if you don't have the cash to pay off the transaction. So where people get into trouble is not when they're using a credit card for you know convenient transactions and they come home and they pay the balance that same day or that same week, uh, or certainly the paid in full on the statement date. That doesn't create an issue because you have the cash there to pay off the balance. But if you know that you're making a purchase on the credit card that you don't have the cash to cover, that's when credit card debt can take on a life of its own because at 20 or even 30% interest, you know, that balance is just going to start to get away from you. It's going to double on its own every couple of years if you do nothing. So try to make sure you have cash to pay the purchases as you make them. Uh, you want to use cash for transactions that are cash-like. And what I mean by that is there are certain transactions on a credit card where you don't have any interest-free grace period and you might actually even be charged a fee just to make the transactions. So these are things like cash advances and credit card checks, uh, wire transfers and money orders, even lottery tickets or gaming transactions. You're going to be charged interest from the date of these cash-like transactions. Um, and in some cases, there's even a higher interest rate charge for these transactions. So if that's the case, you want to look at the fine print um, and see. But in general, you try to avoid cash advances or cash-like transactions uh, because it's just generally not a good um, set of fees and regulations that are around that on a credit card. Um, I think that the last really important one is to just be aware and proactive. So keep tab keep tabs in your account balances, your purchases, your payments. Um, understand if you're going to be incurring any additional fees. So sometimes people see fees on their credit cards, they don't recognize them, and they were just opted in without their knowledge. So make sure you're alive to things like balance protection insurance, uh, being charged every time you take a cash advance, uh, even over limit fees. They might approve a transaction that puts you over your credit limit and then add an extra fee on top of it because they let you exceed your credit limit. So you want to treat all of your accounts as important. You don't want to skip any payments and just make sure that you're on top of all of your obligations. I, I know you've got a few more tips too when it comes to managing your credit card debt that are just really good reminders for folks. Yeah, I think these are some, some very good things. If you take nothing else away, one thing I encourage people to understand is that paying just the minimum payment on your credit cards is a big indication that you've got a financial problem that you're not going to be able to solve on your own. So the best practice is to always pay more than your minimum monthly payment. If you're not able to pay more than the minimum monthly payment, you are not getting ahead on this debt. Uh, an 18% interest rate credit card, which is pretty reasonable these days, the balance of $5,000 could result in almost that same amount in interest, $4,800 of interest, and could take you almost a generation to pay off 18 years and 10 months if you're only making the minimum payments. And most people who would be carrying $5,000 wouldn't say, well, that's a 20-year problem I'm carrying around here, but it actually is if you're only making the minimum monthly payments. Um, I think the last tip I, I would give to people is just to really be honest with yourself. So really get, take stock, uh, understand how are you feeling? Are you feeling concerned about your debt and your overall finances? Uh, is debt taking up a lot of your time and your emotional capacity? Um, if you really feel like you have a debt problem, it's a big indication that perhaps that you do. And, and sometimes people will really, really even feel better just by taking a break from credit. Sometimes just stopping to use the credit, rolling with cash for a period of time, um, really making sure that you can live your household budget without having to rely on credit each month. Sometimes that just becomes more clear when you put the cards away for a month and just start paying in cash. You start to see, well, are there big gaps in this budget that we just can't fill? 
And if you know that you, you need more than, than just to take a break or reevaluate, but sit down with somebody from Sands and Associates and take those real first steps to manage this credit card debt or debt in general, uh, it's just such a good idea, even just to sit down and say, okay, this is my situation. What should I do? 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number to use. Again, offices all over British Columbia and, uh, they will, you can go into an office and sit down with someone. You can do it online, on Zoom, however they set it up. There's just so many good options for you to get that very important, uh, information to get you on a better, better foundation when it comes to your debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. This segment is all about debt relief for Canadians. What are my options? And I like how you've said Canadians, Blair, on this because we get inundated with so much advertising from the United States, depending on where we're watching our television or what we're, what we're reading online, that it's really important for consumers who in Canada to know um, what our options are. And that's what Blair's going to do. He's going to focus exclusively on debt help services for consumers. He's going to share information on where Canadians can get safe, qualified support for debt, for problem debt, and debt relief solutions. So, and this is unique to us. Am I right about this? That we have licensed insolvency trustees, of which you are one. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that that America, the United States, doesn't have that same um, classification, or do they? I, I, I am I, I'm really asking a question. I don't know. Yeah, they they absolutely don't, Elaine. So a trustee is a unique role. Um, I've never seen the same role in any of the other countries where I've studied their insolvency regimes. And it's why when you start to drive across the border or even watch American TV for for more than a little while, you see all these bankruptcy attorney advertisements. You know, it sounds like pretty high high pressure, fly by night, different things like that. You don't see those in Canada at all because lawyers are prohibited from filing either bankruptcies or consumer proposals. So the government created this role. It's now been about 50 years or so uh, of a licensed insolvency trustee where we're an officer of the court. So our accountability is to make sure all the rules have been followed, uh, but we're not a lawyer by background. We're not someone who's adversarial, um, you know, trying to get all the parties to knock heads together and, and just you know, get, get a deal at the end of the day. We're here to help people understand their options, to treat them with respect and dignity and give them access to the great insolvency laws that Canada has, which I think are some of the best in the world that just really don't exist in other jurisdictions. Um, I know I have clients who've come from certain countries in Asia where filing a bankruptcy is the worst, the most shameful thing you could ever do. A red tag is put on your front door so all of your neighbors know about it. Your furniture is all carted out. Um, And there's some countries in Europe where a bankruptcy starts to finish can be 10 years or more, whereas in Canada, it's nine months and most people don't know about it. It's not on the front page of the newspaper. It's not on any pages in the newspaper. It's more of a private process to just help people get back on track. So absolutely, Canadians have great options to resolve their debt. Um, And one thing to take away is that a licensed insolvency trustee is the person that allows you to access all of those options. So there's only, well, there's under a thousand licensed insolvency trustees in Canada. They're all rigorously uh, regulated, qualified, and empowered to help you implement the law that's been put there to help Canadians get a financial fresh start. 
Uh, the main thing that a trustee will do is they'll meet with individuals day in and day out. So at Sands and Associates, we have offices all over the province. We do many of our meetings by telephone or video chat these days or with people in, in physical uh, in our physical offices as well. And it's impartial advice at no cost to the individual, no obligation to proceed. It's again, just giving you the, the access to those remedies that the government has created for good reason. Excellent. And that and that is unique to Canada. And I, I really I love knowing that and hearing that. And I we like I say, we, we we're so inundated with how the United States does things because they're all part of our media often and and television, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's really good to know. What else would you say is unique about or, you know, the role that the licensed insolvency trustee plays and, and how you help people? Well, I think what, what people need to understand, too, is a licensed insolvency trustee is the person that, you know, it, it sounds a little bit weird, but holds all of the power of the insolvency system. So if something is going horribly awry with your credit, I you know you're being sued for a debt, your wages are being taken, um, your assets are being seized, uh, a trustee can make all of that stop instantly. We don't have to, you know, go to court, make an urgent application. As soon as a trustee files either a bankruptcy or a proposal, there's what's called a stay of proceedings, which means that any proceedings against you have to grind to a halt. This could even be the government taking your wages on every paycheck. Um, as soon as you file a consumer proposal, that has to stop uh, regardless of, of the source and you get the time you need to restructure. So a, a licensed insolvency trustee is generally your best ally to talk to if you feel like you're overwhelmed with your debt, you're not sure what you can do, you might be just feeling the legacy of just years of bad credit or overspending or whatever it is that caused the financial problems. And the best trustees, which I like to think we have at Sands and Associates, they're forward looking. They're not here to judge you, not here to make you feel bad. Uh, most people, and I'm only half joking about this, most people do a very good job of making themselves feel bad about their debt. And a trustee is not somebody that's going to pile on top of that and make you feel worse. We're here to think about the future of what you can do to get that financial fresh start. Excellent. Um, so before we talk about, you know, more information about it's imp important stuff for Canadians to have about debt relief options, um, I want to say if you want to take some action right now, 1-800-661-3030 is the number to access somebody at Sands & Associates. And as Blair mentioned, they have offices all over British Columbia. They have a terrific website as well, sands-trustee.com, where you can make that appointment or just learn more about your options that are out there. So what other information, Blair, do you think it's important for us to, to know about our debt, debt relief options? Well, I think people need to proceed with extreme caution uh, when they're dealing with somebody that's not a licensed insolvency trustee, because there's a lot of different folks that are out there where trustees are incredibly highly regulated, overseen by Industry Canada, by the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy. Um, you know, you might have heard of credit counselors or debt consultants. There is little to no regulation of these industries. Literally anybody tomorrow could set up a shingle and say, hey, I'm a credit counselor. I'll help you with my debt. And there are great credit with your debt, there are great credit counselors that are out there, uh, but there are others that just provide bad information um, and don't give you know a fair referral to a trustee when they know uh, perhaps a proposal or a bankruptcy might be a better option. So folks need to understand that something like a credit counselor is not a professional designation. There's no requirement for someone to satisfy education or regulatory requirements. So you need to be careful if you're getting advice from somebody um, who's not a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, and 
And then what I've seen more and more is there's a number of companies out there that say, hey, you shouldn't go direct to a trustee. Um, you should have a consultant represent you instead, um, saying that we're going to get you the better outcome if you just pay us a few thousand dollars. We'll help you get that consumer proposal that you need. And it breaks my heart because uh, if people do their research, they know that a consumer proposal costs you nothing up front. There's nobody that you have to pay to help structure your proposal, to help figure out the options. Um, and every good trustee is going to know what creditors are going to accept and help you navigate through the process. So sometimes I see people where they've been taken advantage of, of sometimes it's $1,500 or even $3,000. They paid money that they didn't have and they ended up more in debt than when they started where they could have come directly to a trustee. So it's really important that you deal with a licensed insolvency trustee. If you get advice from anybody else, first off, never pay a dime for it because it's certainly not worth it. Uh, but then also make sure you check any advice that you've gotten from somebody who's not a trustee by having at least a free consultation with an LIT. Very good. And in closing, for the last minute or so, Blair, um, what do I need what do I need to know or, or have in place before I go and see a trustee with my, with my situation? You know, there's not a formal set of things that you need to have to have that first meeting. I think first off, you should have the understanding that you deserve to live without debt. You deserve to live without the overwhelming stress. We're always focused on what we owe to our creditors. What about what you owe to yourself? What do you owe to your family? You owe them and yourself to be the best version of yourself. And if you're completely hopeless about your debt and your financial situation, you probably aren't even aware of the impact that's having on you and your relationships. So it's it's pretty simple. If you think you have a debt problem, you probably do. You're probably suffering more than you can even imagine. And by getting that first consultation, everyone that I've met with, even if we can't help them with our solution, they walk away having learned something, having a better understanding of what all is out there, and at least also feeling a little bit more validated that they're not the only person who's facing a debt trouble in today's world. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.